Welcome to Walking in Faith with Pastor Rob Currington. This podcast is dedicated to helping develop lifelong seekers of the Kingdom of God. Each week, Pastor Rob helps bring God's message for living to those seeking a richer and more Christ-filled life. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he shares this week's message. Dear Heavenly Father, we want to come to sing your praises this morning. Scripture calls us to sing praises to your name and to sing the glory of your name and to give to him glorious praise, for it is a wonderful name. We are called to give to the Lord the thanks due to his righteousness. And Scripture says that I will sing praise to the name of the Lord the Most High and that we will also praise you with the heart for your faithfulness and to sing praises to you with the lyre, O Holy One of Israel. Our lips will shout for joy when we sing praises to you, our soul also which you have redeemed. We will sing praises for you are the Lord God Almighty. You are the most high God, the master of all, the everlasting God. Lord, my banner, the Lord, our shepherd, the Lord that heals, the Lord who's our righteousness, the Lord who sanctifies, the Lord who provides, the Lord who is justice and is peace, the Lord of hosts and the Lord who protects. You are jealous of your name so that we may keep it holy, not that we make you glorious, but that we may sing your beauty and taste and see that you are good and sing your praises in order that everyone from every tribe and every tongue and every nation will one day sing your praises. We pray this in the name of Christ. God's people said, Amen. Amen. Last week's passage in Mark demonstrated the compassion that Jesus had in response to the leper in touching and healing him. Mark also had demonstrated Jesus' authority over the ceremonial law by not considering Jesus as unclean. We didn't really mention much of this last week, but even though Jesus touched the man who was unclean, it did not make Jesus unclean. While also directing that leper to submit to the ceremonial law himself by having the priest to declare that he was now clean. We ended last week by asking how many of us have leprosy of the soul. Remember that? A soul filled with scabs and scars and sores from past hurts and sins. Maybe to the point of having no feeling or numbness in our soul and spirit. Have we given up of ever feeling love or accepted or holy? And that it doesn't matter what our leprosy is, God can and God will heal. And I pray this week that that churned in your mind, that you did not forget that message, but you meditated on it and allowed the Spirit to work in your heart. I know He did mine, as I too looked at my soul and cried out as David, search me, O God, and know my heart and see if there be any wicked way. For like you, I too many times are hesitant to go to God knowing myself, but God loves and doesn't reject those who do come to Him with a broken and a contrite heart, as we saw earlier in Scripture. This week's passage, as we go on, the Gospel of Mark, looking at the authority of Jesus, we're going to look at the authority of sin in Mark 2, 1 through 12. And this week's passage describes the persistence of some friends as they seek help for a man suffering from paralysis. It's the beginning of Jesus' conflict with the scribes, and it also 
records Jesus' authority over sin. Read this with me. When it says, And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home, and many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who could forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise and take up your bed and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, Rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he arose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. Father, we have not either. Father, let us also be amazed and astonished at Jesus and Jesus' claim and Jesus' authority and Jesus' power. Open our minds as we read Mark, as we discuss, as we interpret and apply. We pray that the Holy Spirit will work in our hearts, free us from the distractions and from the things that are going on in our lives and our hearts, that we may focus on your word. And Lord, may we be active listeners, seeking to please you. In your name we pray. Amen. Mark now is turning to record some of the conflicts that Jesus had had with the religious scribes in this next sequence of events in chapters 2 in the first part of chapter 3. They most likely are not a series of chronological events. Mark does not always write chronologically. Many times he's grouping things together more thematically, and now we're going to see a series of events in which Jesus is having conflict with the scribes. After being driven out of the desolate place that we read about last week, Jesus now returns to Capernaum unnoticed, most likely to the home of Peter and Andrew where he had set his base. In this passage, we see that Jesus is mainly preaching and not healing as he was before. Mark says that Jesus is preaching the word, which probably consisted of the intimate rule of God and the need for repentance and to trust in him. Very similar to repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Come and follow me. However, some men heard that Jesus was there and had heard what Jesus had done in healing, brought, brought a friend who was suffering from paralysis, hoping that Jesus would heal them. As we had already seen in several verses, Jesus' fame had spread far and wide and many were bringing those suffering from sickness, physical disabilities, and even demon possession. Not only this, but his teaching was something that they had never heard before, and they were amazed and astonished with the way he spoke with authority. Anywhere Jesus went, crowds followed him. Jesus literally could not find any breathing room. And seeing the large crowd gathering at the house to the point that no one, it says, could even get through the door, 
and recognizing they would never get their friend through that door, especially in some type of cot, they proceeded to go to the outside stairs to the roof. Dr. John MacArthur, in his commentary describing the homes of that time, writes that most homes in Israel had flat roofs for relaxation in the cool of the day. There was no modern air conditioning or fans and things of that nature. So they would go onto the roofs where they would build little places where they could rest and enjoy the cool of the day. And there was usually an external or outside stairway that extended to that roof. They did not get into it from the, in, from the inside, but from outside. Often as here, the roof was made of slabs of burnt or dried clay that were placed on supporting beams that stretched from wall to wall. The builder then would spread a uniform coat of fresh white clay over these slabs of hardened clay to serve as a seal against the rain, which would then make what we call those tiles. You and I can only imagine what those on the inside of that house, including Peter and Andrew, the owners of the home, must have thought when loose pieces of dirt and tile and stuff began falling through as they realized what was happening as someone was digging their way through the roof. Now you and I can almost imagine because we understand when sometimes on a windy day it sounds like this roof is about to cave in on us. It's not doing that today, so we're safe. These men were dedicated in seeing Jesus, knowing that he could heal their friend, and they were going to go to a very unfriendly way of doing so. This would not be something that would be very neighborly, is to go take somebody's roof off to start lowering someone in. But that leads me to point one, if you're taking notes. And that seems God seems to encourage and to bless those that are persistent. God seems to encourage and even bless those who are persistent. As they begin to lower the man down into the house, Jesus recognizes the ingenuity and persistence of their faith. Turn to Luke chapter 18 if you would. And let's see this in a different way. In Luke 18, we see a parable, not a real story, but a parable which Jesus is teaching about the power of persistence and maybe the annoying power of persistence. In Luke chapter 18, the first seven verses, Jesus shares a parable about a widow. And he told them a parable to the fact that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. Here is a man who is his own self. He didn't respect God. He didn't respect man. He didn't fear either of them. And there was a widow in verse 3 in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. He doesn't tell us what the problem was, what the conflict was, but he's saying, give me justice. For while he refused, but afterwards the judge said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. Now, that's not saying that that's a good thing is to bother somebody into something, but God God is again teaching something here very powerful. For the Lord says, hear what the unrighteous judge says, verse 7, and I will not God give justice to his elect, his children, his chosen ones, who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? Here was men who were not going to take no for an answer. They were not going to let the circumstances or any of the barriers stand in their way. And so as they came up to it, they realized, we want our friend to be healed. What friends they were. 
What friends you and I need to be of that sort or could use that to where they would pick this man up and carry him. One who could not seek his own healing would pick him up, but seeing the door, many of us would probably say, oh, I'm going home. I'll never get in to see Jesus. But eyeing that stare, I don't know which one of them did it or if it was a collective thought. One of them said, "Let's." Go. they must have been college frat boys because I think that's the only one who's going to decide to do it. They just said, let's go up to the roof, let's take the roof off, and let's lower them down here. Man, they must have came prepared because they had the rope, they had all the things that they needed to do. So they go up there and they start taking off. They're persistent. Let me ask you, how many times have you and I prayed for healing, strength, and God's favor only to give up after only a few prayers. We asked God and we gave up. Whether it's because of despair or doubt or lack of faith or just plain laziness, we do not persist in prayer. God has promised, though, to answer our prayer if we ask in faith, that is, in trusting in God. They trusted that God, Jesus, could do what Jesus had done. Now, obviously, God doesn't answer when we ask wrongly or for the wrong purpose, yet He describes Himself as a good Father who is willing to give good gifts to His children. So you and I should be persistent in your prayers and not to give up easily. And these young men were not going to give up. They came to see their friend healed, and they were not going to leave until he had an audience with Jesus. They trusted, they believed in Jesus the same way I encourage you, if you trust and believe in Jesus, be persistent in your prayers. Be persistent in pursuing Him. However, what's interesting in Jesus' response to the persistence, it was obviously what was ailing the man. Could not get out of bed. His friends had to carry him about. He was paralyzed. But Jesus did not heal him of this. Did you notice that? As we read through, Jesus did not heal him of his paralysis, at least at first. Instead, Jesus said, Son, your sins are forgiven. This might have been confusing to the man, to his friends, and to those who were around him. You could almost hear their thinking, why is he forgiving his sins? He can't walk, that's why he brought him here. But Jesus knew that all suffering is rooted in the curse of sin though not always necessarily directly caused because of sin. Though on the other hand, it might have made perfect sense to them as many people that time connected illness or suffering with sin. Maybe the man was paralyzed due to some sin. It was some consequence of his actions. We know in Scripture that the national sins of Israel's leaders caused suffering and the other personal sins caused suffering and consequences. You and I know that when we sin, that when we're disobedient to God, many times other people suffer from the consequences, do they not? So that could have been the case. Yet we're not really directed in this passage why Jesus said this. He could have been trying to start a conflict with the scribes. Maybe he knew some things. This brings me to point two. Is Jesus knows what our real problem is. Jesus knew this young man and knew what he really needed. See, if you were to ask the young man, what do you need? He would say, I I need to walk and use my limbs. If you would have asked his friends, they would have said, well, he needs to walk. We're tired of carrying him about. If you would have asked his family, they would have said the same. If you would have asked all those that are in their house, they says, well, obviously, this man needs to walk. 
Jesus knew what this man really needed. It's interesting, in verse 5, Jesus refers to him, to this man, as son. It's a term of endearment showing familiarity and connection and tenderness. And just like last week when he touched a man who had not felt human contact probably in a very long time, Jesus speaks tenderly to this man and says, your sins are forgiven. Maybe this is what the, truly, the young truly needed to hear and needed. Is that what you and I need today? It is. It's what the world truly needs. Forgiveness. How precious is that word forgiveness and all that it means and all that it contains. It's a simple word that is heavy and deep with meaning. It's a word that can repair a broken relationship, heal a torn heart, and set one free. Yet it's not the man or his friends that complain or argue with Jesus. They seem to accept Jesus' words. It's the religious leaders that Mark tells us that the scribes were also in attendance who had a problem. They were probably there out of curiosity. Word had reached them of this new teacher named Jesus, the one that spoke amazing things with authority and not like the scribes, as you may recall. People would say, he speaks like one who speaks with authority, not like our scribes. Surely they were curious and maybe even looking for a way to defend themselves or to squelch Jesus' teaching. The scribes were special teachers and scholars and experts in the law. And hearing Jesus forgive this man his sins, they responded by questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like this? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Now, you and I hear this today, and we want to condemn them for thinking this in their head. However, they were actually asking a very good question. No one could forgive sins but God. Being scribes, they were probably thinking of Isaiah 43, verse 25, where the prophet quotes Yahweh, the Father, God, saying, I, I am He who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. They knew that it's true that only God can forgive sins, and they were jealous for God's name as they should have been. So to be honest, these scribes are asking a very good question, just as you and I ought to when pastors and preachers and teachers start proclaiming something that isn't scriptural. But what these scribes did not know is that Jesus was the Son of God. Even though they thought that Jesus might be the Messiah, and yet this is not coming yet, though there's, there's going to be this fever as we continue to go, that people think maybe Jesus is the anointed one, and Jesus wasn't the first one they thought that was the Messiah, and Jesus isn't going to be the last one they think is the Messiah. But even then, the Messiah would not have given him the power to forgive sins. You see, the religious leaders and the people did not think that the Messiah would be divine or God. According to the Jews' facts and question website, the Hebrew word from which we get Messiah does not mean Savior. It just means anointed one. The notion of an innocent, 
divine or even semi-divine being who will sacrifice himself to save us from the consequences of our sin is a purely Christian concept that has no basis in Jewish thought, a Jew would tell you then and today. To them, the Messiah is what they've been taught, will be a great political leader who descends from King David. He will be well-versed in Jewish law and observe all of its commandments. He will be a charismatic leader, inspiring others to follow his example. He will be a great military leader who will win battles for Israel. He will be a great judge who makes righteous decisions and brings justice. But above all, he will be a human being, not a God, demigod, or other supernatural being. So to them, even if he was the Messiah, they would not consider him as divine. The Messiah will have no right or ability, in their view, to forgive sins. Interestingly, Jesus knew their hearts and proves with divine discernment his divinity, because for he knows their hearts without them speaking out loud and responds, which is easier? Good question. I always love Jesus. He responds with one question with another. He says to them out loud, which is easier? To say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise up, take your bed, and walk? That's a very good question. Which is easier? Hopefully you chose, your sins are forgiven. Why is that easier? No proof is needed. Which would be harder? For Jesus to say, rise up and walk. What would happen if Jesus said, rise up and walk, and the man did not rise up and walk? He's a liar. He's a fool. But he could say, your sins are forgiven. You can't verify that. There's no proof given. So Jesus asks a very good question to get them to think. It's actually easier to say your sins are forgiven. There's no proof. Jesus knows it's harder to say, rise up and walk, because if he did not, then he would be shown to be false. Which brings us to the third point about these scribes. Is they did not know their scriptures as well as they thought. They did not know scripture as well as they thought. They did not know that the Messiah would be one who could heal. He could be one who would forgive sins. All they were concentrated on was the land and the military conquest and their quest for justice. But they had no idea that the Messiah would be a suffering servant who would be one who would give up their life. They did not know Scripture as well as they thought. So Jesus responds to them by saying, that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he points them to his real identity when he uses that phrase, the Son of Man. He points them to his real identity and qualifications to declare the man forgiven of sins. For you see, Jesus uses the term Son of Man here to describe himself. It's going to be one of Mark's favorite titles for Jesus. It's one of Jesus' favorite ways to refer to himself and his ministry. Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to Daniel. For when Jesus says this, he is now identifying from Scripture that they should know to recognize that the Messiah would be able to forgive sin. Look at Daniel chapter 7, starting with verse 13. For Daniel writes, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. 
And he came to the ancient days and was presented before him. According to Wikipedia, the Hebrew expression, son of man, appears 107 times in the Hebrew Bible. The majority of the times, 94 times, is in the book of Ezekiel. And it's used in three main ways. As a form of address to contrast the lowly status of humanity against the permanence and the exalted dignity of God. And as a future eschatological figure whose coming will signal the end of history and the time of God's judgment. Now look at verse 14, for Daniel continues. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. You see, Jesus is that Son of Man. And as we go through Mark, that will become clearer and clearer as Jesus continues to preach. Jesus is the King, the one whose kingdom will last forever. When Jesus used this term, it would have pricked their ears and they would have understood exactly who Jesus was saying that he was. For he says, I can forgive sins. And to prove that he was the Son of Man, that he was the King, Jesus responds to the paralytic by saying, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. Jesus now is getting to the man's felt needs, his physical needs. First, he took care of his spiritual, and now he's taking care of his physical. You see, this healing certifies Jesus' claim and authority. This man walked away, and listen to this, this man walked away truly healed, both physically and spiritually. Not only now could he walk and have full use of all his limbs, not only was he delivered from his disability, he was now delivered from the penalty of death and the power of sin. His healing was immediate and complete as Mark records that he rose up and immediately picked up his bed and went out before all of them. What a testimony to who Jesus truly was. See, Jesus knew why he was there. He knew what his purpose was. Mark will later tell us in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, that he came as to seek a ransom for many, to seek and to save those that were lost. Of course, the people were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. Here is a man that can both heal and forgive sins. Which now leads me to my final point. Number four, is that Jesus heals completely. Up to this point, Jesus was healing really just physical disabilities, physical problems, physical sicknesses. But in this case, Jesus heals this man completely. You see, you and I need complete healing, not just physically, but spiritually. There are some of you here today that are struggling physically, that if you had your choice, you would say, Lord, just heal me of this disability. Help me be stronger. Help my legs or my back. Lord, help me when I struggle with these migraines. Lord, or help me with these relationships. There's something about that we need help. We're not always persistent, but that's what we want. And that may be what you think you need, but what you need really is to be healed 
from your sins. You may be fine physically, yet we're all dead before meeting Jesus. Paul tells us in Ephesians that we're all dead in the trespasses and sin in which we once walked. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom the Bible says we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our body and our mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. The Bible tells us through the Apostle John that if you and I say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And that if we say we have not sinned, we make God a liar and His Word is not in us. As we go through, we'll see that that's the conflict of the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the religious leaders, the political leaders. That very thought made John the Baptist lose his head as he shook his fist at Harold and said, you should not have her as your wife. For sin is the disability that all of us have. It's the healing that all of us need together. We're all in need of a Savior. We don't need a military leader. We don't need a political leader. We don't need a financial leader. We do not need a personal guru to help us meet our human potential. And that seems like where we've parked our bus. Help us meet our human potential. John the Baptist declared when he saw Jesus coming toward him. said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. John the Baptist knew who Jesus was. The scribes did not. His friends of the paralytic man did not know who Jesus was. The man himself did not. He said, I just need healing physically. Jesus knew what this man truly needed. You see, this lamb that John the Baptist tells us that we who were dead in our trespasses and the uncircumcision of our flesh, that God has made alive together with him. Amen? He tells us that he has forgiven us all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. In other words, there is no one that could say against us that we are guilty. That's why Romans tells us that there's no condemnation. You may be here today suffering from sin that you're fighting day in and day out. You may come in here today with unrepentant sin. But let me tell you, there's no condemnation to those that are in Christ. He calls us to, to, to recognize that it's been canceled. There is no record of debt. You can't go back. You can't Google it. You won't find it. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, there is no legal demands against us for He has declared us righteous. This, it says, He set aside, He nailed it to the cross, and that the reason that the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. They're just looking for healing. And that's really what people are looking from Jesus. What are you looking from Jesus today? You're just looking maybe for some encouragement, some motivation, some inspiration. You just want a guru. You just want a Santa Claus, a grandpa. Or maybe you just want a police officer who tells you what's wrong or right. Let me tell you, we need to come with open hearts and saying, Lord, whatever you need to do in my life, do it. To begin your day like that, Lord, whatever it is, root it out, take it out, heal me completely. 
We come with a litany of things and say, do this, do that, as if He's our personal maid. That's not who the Son of God is. That's not our Messiah. That's not our King. He's one who comes and says, I hear your request. I will take care of your request, but let me take care of what you truly need. Let me take away that pain, that guilt, and that shame. Though not deserving of anything but death, God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, the Bible tells us even when we were dead in our trespasses, He made us alive with, together with Christ. And by grace we have been saved. 1 John 1.7 tells us that if we walk in the light as He in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus His Son cleanses us from all sin. That's what you and I need. And that if we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Early this morning in the scripture reading, you read one of the greatest prayers of confession. David, restore to me the joy of salvation. Wash me white with snow. That's what you and I truly, truly need. Let me end with this. As we read this story, maybe you are the man that's paralyzed, that needs healing. Or maybe you're a friend of one who needs it. Whichever may describe you, would you put your faith, your trust in the one who gives complete deliverance? Maybe it's time to have someone bring you to the cross. Maybe it's time for you to bring someone to the cross. But what we truly need is true spiritual healing. We would respond to whatever the Holy Spirit may be calling you today. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I ask for you to pause, to pray, to consider and respond. What has the Holy Spirit said? Have you been persistent in your prayers? Or have you given up? Despair, lack of faith, doubt, or just plain laziness? God says be persistent. Do you know that Jesus understands your real problem? Maybe it's in time instead of coming to Him with a litany of say, Lord, what is it that I need? Seek my heart. Expose my heart for what it truly is. Be better than the scribes. You and I must be modern day Bereans who check the scripture daily to see if such was so. Then you need to understand that he heals completely. Would you respond to what Christ is calling you to this morning? Father, we thank you that you have saved us. We thank you, Lord, that you have brought healing. And it's probably not in the healing that we think that we need, but it's the healing that we truly need. Let us rejoice and glorify. Let us be amazed at the fact that you would send your son to die for us and that you would forgive us of our sins. Father, we should be friends that are willing to carry those we love to you. Or let us be friends that are persistent in the prayer for the salvation of our family, friends, and our neighbors, and our coworkers. Father, may we know the scripture. May we seek that you may open up their hearts to receive your word. And may we rejoice and praise, Lord, when you do heal. If there's anyone here this morning, Father, that needs that healing, would you bring them to you today? 
Would you help them to see that they need to repent from dead works, knowing that there's nothing that they can do to save themselves and turn and trust in you. We thank you for the deliverance, the shame and guilt that so easily besets us and drags us down. Lord, may you be glorified in all that you do. Praise in your name. Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this week's Walking in Faith podcast. We encourage you to share this podcast with others in order to help spread God's message to all those in need. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Email us at walkinginfaith at orangevilla.org. You can help us spread this podcast by writing a review at iTunes. And don't forget to visit us online at orangevilla.org. There you will find more information about our ministry, as well as share your thoughts, submit prayer requests, and find out how you can help others to grow in God's love. Until next week, may God bless you in everything you do.